I'm thankful that you're here tonight uh, to get to continue to journey together. And uh, speaking of speaking of journey, um, many of you guys know this about me, but I am I am the least the least outdoors person on the face of the planet. Okay, I I don't like fishing. Okay, so for those of you that like fishing, that's cool. I just think it's unbelievably lame. Um, <laughs> I don't like sleeping in a tent. I like hotels. I really like showers. I take three to four a day. I'm a very clean, almost germaphobe at times. Okay, so I don't like, I don't like outdoorsy stuff. But I have taken a recent interest in an outdoorsy tool. Um, I, I've taken recent interest in a compass, okay? Uh, you guys know a compass, okay? Now, I, I, I'm ashamed to say... I'm ashamed to say, I, I have no idea when I got this off Amazon, okay? I didn't go to like Bass Pro. I didn't do like what normal people do when they get a compass. I, just like everything else, got on Amazon, all right? And I got this thing, and I was, I was just having fun wandering around the parking lot, you know? Because I'm like, this is like a, it's like a Christmas miracle, you know? Like wherever you go, like, like this thing turns. And, and so I, I thought I understood it, but, but I, really, I really don't. And so I thought what would be awesome is if we hear uh, about a compass from a guy that really understands. Uh, this guy has this on his resume, speaking of compass and outdoorsy stuff. Uh, he has literally killed a bear, okay, which I know some of you don't agree with because you're part of the FDA or PETA or whatever it is. Um, but, but this guy knows his compasses or compi, okay? Give it up for my good buddy, Jared Jones. Bring him up. Come on. Come teach us, Jared. Ha-ha. <laughs> Now, Jerry knows his compass, so literally, of all, of all the people in the whole church, he was the only guy I texted, I, and my question to him was, dude, have you ever used a compass in real life, okay? Because I just want, I, newsflash to everybody, Google Maps does not count, okay? So I asked you, have you ever used a compass in real life, so tell all these people your response, man. Yeah, I can feel all the vegetarians judging me right now. They are, they're um, judging you. Consider yourself so, judged. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I've used a compass a few times, and uh, I think the one time where it really came in handy is when I was out uh, hunting in East Texas. Uh, East Texas is, at least where I was at, was flat, and it's full of these East Texas pine trees, and they are densely packed. So I drove my truck as far as it would go into the woods and just kind of took off in a direction. And I had my compass, and um, I knew to get back. Thanks, buddy. I knew, to, I knew to get back, I needed to know where I was going. And so I basically tried to walk in a straight line, looking at my compass every once in a while. And um, when I was done hunting, I turned around and walked back. The interesting thing about um, if I hadn't had a compass is there's a good chance I would have gotten lost. Um, scientists really don't know why, but humans don't walk in straight lines. Amen. So, Amen. so we have a very myopic view of, of the things around us. We're nearsighted. And the sidewalks are in straight lines, our hallways are in straight lines, but when people are discombobulated and they don't have anything to judge, we actually walk in circles. You've seen it in the movies where somebody's in the desert and a day later they see their foot tracks and they collapse and die and then somebody comes and rescues them. So, I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it's a great movie, you should okay, see it. Okay, I'll check it out, I'll check it out. Uh, so anyways... Uh, because we can't walk in a straight line, there's this, there's this rule uh, called the one-degree rule, and they use it a lot in navigation. They also use it in motivational business, business talks and all those types of things, but if you're walking in a straight line and you're off by one degree, 
you'll be off like 92 feet every mile, which doesn't sound like a lot, but three miles, if you're three miles out and need to come three miles back, you're 270 feet off. So let's just say you're a football field off where you're supposed to be. And if you're in a densely packed forest, you're not going to be able to see your truck. You're lost. If you go to the moon, I think you're like 4,000 miles off, and Mars is 1.6 million. Even more. Martian. Good. That, that yeah. was a good movie. Yeah. I've, I've only been to space <laughs> once or twice, so I can't remove math. But, um, so, yeah, that was the time. I Ladies and gentlemen, the resident compass professional. Give it up for my good brother, Jared Jones. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the one, was it the one-degree rule? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, was think, I was thinking to myself, and now that we're all fully learned on the, on the compass, I was thinking to myself, it would be kind of cool if there was a compass that, like, was called, for lack of a better term, uh, the Lord's will, okay? And, <laughs> right, I thought long and hard about that one. And, and so, like, whenever you needed to know which direction that you should go, you just got out your, you know, and like there on the little, there on the top arrow, it was God's will, right? And so you just kind of like held it out, and you're like, all right, Lord, which, which college would you like me to go to? Which, you know, Chick-fil-A would you like me to eat at lunch? You know, which, and, and then the thing just, just guided you. Um, I, I was thinking how misguided uh, our perception is of God's will, and um, I want to I bring you all in tonight uh, first to my heart for you, and that's important um, because I haven't met many of you, uh, but I want to make sure you understand this. Um, everything tonight that is communicated and shared, it's done so because I have a deep love and care for you. Um, and you're like, Mark, that's strange. You, you don't know me. I understand, uh, but there's a love and a passion uh, for you and for uh, sons and daughters of the king that, that we share. And so everything tonight that's going to be hard to say, I do it out of a heart of love. Uh, secondly, I'm wondering if every single one of us could leave here tonight with a different understanding, maybe the right biblical understanding of how together we can walk in the will of God. And so tonight we start part two of our Joshua journey. And I know many of you guys are just here for the first time. We just just began a brand new book study. That's what we do here. Study verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, and so you're like, well, hold on a second. I'm doing the math. That means it, it takes a while. Yes. Like tonight we're studying four verses in a, in a many, many, many chapter book. Okay. So our pace is not rigorous right now. Okay. It's, it's going to take us a minute. But what we're doing is verse by verse, just journeying through uh, these books of the Bible. And specifically tonight, it's Joshua. So I want to remind you first of a little bit of Joshua's resume. This is what we learned last week. Number one, Joshua was born with the name Hosea, which is interesting because most of us don't know that. Uh, Moses later turn, uh, uh, changes his name to Joshua, which is the Hebrew equivalent of everyone, what? Jesus, right? So Joshua in, in Hebrew is Jesus. Pretty cool. He spends his first 50 years or so as a slave in Egypt. Uh, which means that his perspective on life uh, comes from a great lineage of, of not just pain and hurt, but also hope, because he was eventually, by God's grace, freed, just like the other Israelites, from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So he spends his next 40 years in the wilderness as the Israelites are 
wandering through the wilderness, disobeying God. So he sees all of that. He, he then becomes a general. He's the, the battle uh, leader of uh, what I call the battle of the staff in Exodus 17. That's his first mention in scripture. Really cool piece. He then is James Bond as a spy to the promised land. He, he's one of two uh, faithful spies that return out of 12. And then eventually, because of Moses' disobedience, God tells Moses, you're not going to get to go to the promised land. You can see it, but you're going to die before that. Major bummer. Instead, Joshua is going to lead all of these people through. And so what we saw last week is this crazy, awesome picture of an old man. And I, I like picture him with a cane and, you know, somewhat of a, like a broken hip or something. And, and he's, looking, he's looking across the Jordan River. And God tells him, arise and lead these people across the river. But I want to make sure you understand, these people isn't like you and your family. 1.5 to 2.5 million Israelites to lead across this river. So the, the call on Joshua's life is great. And because it's great, God affirms him with this promise in verse 5. This is where we ended last week. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, God tells Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And the phenomenal promise from God to Joshua, I will not leave you or forsake you. I won't abandon you. I won't orphan you. Once you're mine, you're mine. It's all of our promise in Christ as well. And so tonight, that's right, you've come on a very pertinent night. These are the verses right here. These four verses are what has made Joshua famous, for lack of a better term. So open your Bible, my friends, to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Turn in your phones. Let's follow along together these four very, very famous texts. And maybe, just maybe, we'll have a different understanding of the compass as the night goes along. Here we go. Verse 6, Joshua chapter 1. You guys all there? Say I'm there. Wonderful. And some of you are just looking at the screen saying you're there. So be it. Here we go. Here we go. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous, which already, like some of your hearts, are palpitating, right? Like, like this, is, this is the classic Christian motivational verse, right? Like some of you guys have this on your wall. Many of you, 50% of you have this tattooed somewhere. Be, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, most people think that this is the first time that old man Joshua hears the words, be strong and courageous. For those that think that, they are incorrect. I want to show you the first time, the first three times that he hears this now very famous phrase. So check this out in Deuteronomy 31. I've underlined it, bolded it, and italicized it so we can all see. Be strong and courageous. This is Moses talking to our boy Joshua. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Famous language from verse 5. Then in uh, verse 7, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel. Think about this. I mean, all of Israel. I don't know their, their like projection, like how it worked in volume. But all of Israel, we get the picture, is watching old man Moses share this with old man Joshua. Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. So for those that are counting, this is uno and dos. What about trace for the bilingual? Here we go and later in Deuteronomy 31. 
And the Lord commissioned then Joshua. This is straight from the Lord. The son of Nun, which is a funny joke from last week for those that missed it. It seems like every time uh, that Joshua is mentioned in the scripture, it says the son of Nun. So just kind of a fun, uh, fun fact, at least for me. Here we go. Let's keep going. Uh, he, uh, previous slide, thank you. Not done yet there. Okay. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. And then God says, I will be with you. Well, if you read verse 6 over and over and over, this verse uh, 6, this be strong, next slide, this be strong and courageous, the question that I have for you is, how do you hear those words? So if God was speaking that over you right now, be strong and courageous, if all of a sudden the voice of the Lord spoke audibly into your ear in some sort of situation, like, like how would you hear that? How would you interpret it? Uh, I want to bring you into how I possibly could interpret it because I think maybe some of you will relate, okay? Uh, next slide. How do you interpret what God is saying? Number one, uh, uh, for some of you, you hear the parental be tough. Now, every single time that my boys um, skin their knee, okay, we have a concrete pad in our backyard, which is a, a playground for disaster. It's awesome, okay? I love it. Um, they often are skinning their knee. They're bleeding out, okay? Like awesome things are happening to them. They're fighting, they enjoy lightsaber fighting, so someone, you know, eventually gets cracked in the head, and, and so they, they come to me, right, blood or whatever, and I first check for, you know, tibias coming out of the skin or other protrusions, and when, when I don't see anything, I look at them, and, and the parental thing that I say is, is like, be tough, like, what, what are you crying for? A little bit of blood does a body good. You got to get that bad blood out, you know what I'm saying, like... Good blood will remain, sons. It's okay, you know. Uh, th- that's what I was told growing up. But, but my grandmother's generation, she took it to a whole new level, okay? Now, my grandma, uh, she, she was a grandma on a farm. That meant all of our cousins, we would just, like, spend time, you know, making ruckus on the farm. Gravel, okay, was the pavement on the farm. And so, I mean, give it five minutes. Somebody was falling down, scraping, like, half of their face off, all right? And... And we would go into grandma because she was so sweet and tender and gentle and made awesome chocolate chip cookies, which even makes you more gentle and sweet. And, and we would come in and we would be expecting, you know, like hug and some flowers from grandma. And she would like look at us, you know. She, what's, what's the problem, boys? You, what, what's the problem? Well, grandma, we're, you know, we skinned our leg. And she would, she would wipe her saliva on her hand. She'd just wipe it like that. And then she would like rub our knee, smack us on the butt and say, get back out there and play. Right? Like... <laughs> I remember one of my cousins coming in one time with shards of glass in their leg. Grandma's like, what is that shining down there, you know? And she just like reached down with her fingers and pulled it out. Get back out there, son, you know? No peroxide, no alcohol, just just go time, okay? So, (laughs) So some of you, some of you, you hear the words, uh, be strong and courageous, and you're imagining God saying it, and And for some of you, you hear it through the lens of the parental, be tough. Many of you guys have heard that kind of language. Others of you, though, you hear it through like the peer pressure lens. Next slide. You hear it through uh, the you can do this kind of mentality. Every time we go to Ecuador, uh, we wind up in a city called Baños, which I know sounds strange because it can be assimilated with a bathroom. This particular Baños is beautiful, okay? Some of you who have been to Ecuador will attest one of the things, though, that happens 
is there's a bridge in Banos that you can jump off of. And so every single time, there is someone that's on the fence about whether to jump or not. Okay, it's, it's a bungee jump. So they're not just like randomly jumping off a bridge. I just want to make sure we're clear. Okay, somebody like, oh my. Okay. There's always someone on the fence. And so people spend an entire day like, you can do this. Like, it's okay, you know. Like, listen, I'm sure Ecuador insurance is fine. Like, don't worry about it, you know. I'm sure nothing's ever happened, you know. And so, and so literally you're watching this person just go back and forth. And quite honestly, I've massively played a part in that. Like, I love seeing someone on the fence and just all day being like, come on, you, you got this, right. And so some of you, when you hear God uh, tell Joshua be strong and courageous, you you hear it through that peer, like, go for it, you can do it kind of mentality. But others of you who have ever gone through two-a-days, and I think that includes band members now, because I think band does two-a-days now, too, um, who've ever gone through two-a-days in football like me, or basketball, or, you know, tennis, sprints, I don't know tennis, but some of you hear these words through the lens of a coach. Uh, you hear it like this. Like this coach yelling from the corner, don't give up. In football two-a-days, like you're running and just until you literally just want to like give up. Like this is over. I'm done. I'd rather die. Like please. You got like one of your friends is barfing in the corner. You know, it's just, it's a horrible scene. But over in the, over in the, over in the side, like the coach is just yelling like, don't give up. Keep going. Like it's, it's okay. You know, and. And so some of you have been scarred by that voice of a coach, right? And so you hear the words, be strong and courageous. And that's what you hear. That's, that's the way you interpret. But what if I were to tell you that all three of those interpretations don't even come close to what God is really saying when he says, be strong and courageous. A culture helps us learn this because for whatever reason, uh, when you Google uh, be strong and courageous, animals come up, okay? So check this out. Here's what our cult, like, like somehow that, like, the little cat's going to become, like, Simba the full-grown lion, okay? Like, I don't, be strong and courageous little cat. My wife hates cats. She, like, runs them over when she sees them, okay? I'm just kidding. She's only done that three times. Not a big deal. I, I, I don't understand this next slide. Look at this one. Be strong and courageous. And it's a pink elephant? Like, Some of you guys saw Dumbo growing up, and, like, it, it scared you, right? Like, this is, this is crazy scary. And, of course, of course, if you're going to talk about being strong and courageous, you have to show the wild stallion, right? Like, okay? So, listen, th- there, there are all kinds, all kinds of interpretations of what this means to be strong and courageous, and all of you come in here with your own. Uh, But before we learn what the real, proper, biblical interpretation is, I do want to ask you just one very pertinent question. This question will drive the rest of our night. If the audible voice of God was encouraging you to be strong and courageous in the moments you needed it the most, I'm asking, would it make a difference? Well, the easy and maybe obvious answer is, of of course, Mark. I mean, are you kidding me? If I came to this moment of, should I go this way or or that way, or this moment where I'm finally going to tell, you know, my roommate about Christ, or this moment where, you know, I've been praying for my mom and dad to come to the Lord forever, and, and tonight's the night. Like, I feel emboldened by the Spirit to share with them the truth 
of the person of Christ? What if in that moment, all of a sudden, the audible voice of God like rang out from the heavens, be strong and courageous in the best Charlton Heston accent possible? Like, my question is, would it make a difference? And again, the easiest and obvious answer would be, of course, are you kidding me? If I heard the audible voice of God, it would ring so much truth in me. But I think, unfortunately, the easy and obvious answer is actually, I don't know that it would make much of a difference. Because the voice of God is powerfully speaking, is powerfully present, and is powerfully real. And yet, for whatever reason, in spite of the powerful voice of God, we find ourselves in cowardice, we find ourselves in the corner, we find ourselves running away. We find ourselves trying to dig deep or muster it up or pull up the bootstraps, but sometimes when the rubber meets the road, we find ourselves ultimately succumbing to great fear. So I want you to ponder and process that. And now look at beautiful verse 7. And when I say beautiful, this verse has my heart. Only be strong, and what's the next word? Very courageous, which is like a preposition or something. Uh, Adjective, what what is very? It's a noun. Okay. Only, (laughs) only be strong and very courageous. But check this out. Look at this. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may have good success wherever you go. First, let's deal with the elephant in the room, pun intended, the word success. You start talking about success and biblical success, and pretty soon doctrine gets all kind of funky. Okay, I want to make sure everyone understands here what kind of success God is talking about. He's called Joshua to something very, very specific. Go across the Jordan, lead these people, I'm going to be with you. The success that God's talking about is you hang in my presence, you listen to my word, and the success that you're going to reap are the promises that, I, that I've said are going to come true. And so rest and trust in me, Joshua, And he says, follow and be careful to do according to the law of Moses everything that my servant Moses has commanded you. Um, But the really interesting point of all of this is do not turn to the right or to the left. So my question was, is this the only place in the scripture that talks about like this directional kind of, you know, don't veer, don't, don't go off on your own path? Actually, it's not. In fact, it shows up. Next slide. It shows up in Deuteronomy 5. This is just after Moses shares the Ten Commandments with the people of Israel. Look at this. You shall be careful, therefore. First of all, when it comes to obeying the Lord, uh, how much carefulness have you approached that with? Be careful to follow him. Be careful to pay attention to what he's saying. Take great interest in every word that's coming from the mouth of God. This is what Moses tells the people. It's what God tells Joshua. Be careful, therefore, 
to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. Look at this. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well for you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. This isn't the only mention. Look at later in Deuteronomy. I think uh, Deuteronomy 28. Now God talking about the nation of Israel, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, which first of all, it's kind of an odd thing to say to someone, right? I'm going to make you the head and not the tail, like we're playing, you know, pin the tail on something here. Um, the, the reality is the Israelites, you know, were forever in bondage and slavery. And so what God is saying, like, I'm literally going to, to make you who once was in slavery and bondage, you're like, you're going to become the leader. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall go up and not, uh, not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, look at this, being, what's the word? Being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left to go after God's and serve them. Now, two different mentions in Deuteronomy. And then Joshua chapter 1. It's don't go to your right, don't veer to your left. And so then all of a sudden the catalog of the scriptures started coming alive in my heart and in my mind, and I was led promptly to this text in Luke chapter 9. Check this out, beautiful stuff. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, now we have the compass almost covered. Don't go to the left, don't go to the right, don't turn back. First of all, I want to make sure we're all on the same page with don't turn back. It's not that we can't celebrate what God has done. It's that some of you are so gripped by the power of your past, you're still enslaved to it. You're enslaved to the sin that you feel indebted to repay. You feel enslaved to the abuse that you endured. You feel enslaved to pieces of your trial or hurt that continue to rear its ugly head. You feel enslaved to this past relationship that you can't get over. The Christ here isn't commanding us to forget these things. He wants us to see our past in light of what he's done so that we will worship through the power of what he's shown in our life. But what he is saying is anyone who looks back, anyone who's gripped enslaved to their past. They're not fit for service. So then if the left and the right and behind is covered, then it only leaves one direction. Here's what the psalmist says to that issue in Psalm 119. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes I will not forget your word. Oh, the reality is, is many of you feel like your life is spinning and now you're understanding why. You're veering. You're wandering in the woods. No direction. Uh, some of you have gone to the left some of you have been feeding from the passions of your lust over and over and over. 
feeding your comforts, indulging in sexual sin and other addictions, uh, the self-gratification that, that comes and being allured by all the things that your lust will provide. So, so some of you have veered very, very strong left. Uh, others of you have veered right. Uh, these folks have been veered by a substantial pressure from the culture to be something right now that would conform to who they are and what they are. The problem is scripture makes clear, do not, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but those that have veered right have completely conformed. Uh, they become a chameleon, like we, we wouldn't know your faith in the world by watching your life because you look just like the rest of your friends. There's no difference when you get around this pocket of people, your language goes downhill, your jokes go downhill, all of a sudden you get around a couple of convenient Christians and then you straighten up for a while and then just back to living like hell. Some of you have veered drastically right. Others of you so gripped by your past, the power of it, the memories of it. You haven't yet gotten to this place where you can worship the work of God because you're struggling to see it because you feel like you're living life with a noose and it pulls on you every single minute of every single day. Uh, the power of the gospel is that there's hope, is that there is one way to look, there's one way to walk. Listen. There's one way to turn. So I want to show you this next slide. Look at this. Look at verse 7 again, now through that lens. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Pay attention. Do not turn from the left or the right. Hang on to the words of God. So maybe the most important question you've been asked in a long time, I'd like to ask it now. Next slide. Which way are you turned right now? I'm not talking about yesterday, I'm talking about today. Is it the passions of your lust? Feeding in the indulgence of your sin? Is it the being completely conformed to the culture around you or your past? Listen, can I tell you a great hope? Tonight and tonight right now, you can turn to Christ. The power of grace is that no matter how heavy the noose feels, no matter how strong the sin seems, because it feels like there's no way out, doesn't it? Those of you that are caught in secret, addictive sins, the sense is there's no way out. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get out of this. Those of you who have surrounded yourselves, completely conformed to the relationships, you fear so much. Is there a group of friends I can find? Is there some kind of non-conforming group that, that no, like, I'm not going to be accepted? The fear of all three of these is there is no way out. But the promise of the gospel is there is now. You can turn from your sin. You can turn from this culture. You can turn from your past and turn towards Christ. That's why the psalmist says, I fix my eyes on you. 
So maybe the hopeless, even as we're continuing to go right now, maybe you're finding in your heart just a semblance of hope. Hang there. And look at verse 8 with me. Look at this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Hello. But you shall meditate on it day and night. And, and anytime you hear the word meditate, some of you kind of get weirded out. You think of this like new age, burning incense, like sitting and kind of letting your mind drift around the things. That's not, that's not what he's talking about here. It's somehow the word of God is is always on his mind and therefore always on his mouth, so that you may be, again, be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. So the first thing I want to deal with is what kind of Bible does, does Joshua have? What, type, like what kind of word does he have? Okay, like, I just want to make sure you all understand, at this point, it's not in the form that you and I have. And it's certainly not on his phone, okay? Like, I, I just want to make sure we're all, we're all clear, okay? He's not, like, scrolling on his iPhone 6, you know, like, through the ESV. He's having to, like, get out a scroll to probably only look at portions of what Moses wrote in books like Deuteronomy. And so what the Lord is saying is, look at, look at the power of this. I want this to be on your mouth. Meditate on it day and night and be careful to do what it says. I wish, I wish, I wish that this was all of our reality right now. That every single one of us in our approach to God's word, we just came in here and being, oh my goodness, I can't get enough. I meditate day and night, and that's not even, a, I, I wake up at like two or three in the morning, find myself hungering again, and not for a, a, a late night snack, but for the, the food that comes from the word. Like all I can do is talk about it because you naturally talk about what you love and, and the Lord is just showing me so much through his powerful truth, uh, truth, truthful word and, and I just can't shut up about it. I wish that was the case. Unfortunately, I know um, after years and years and years of ministry now that reading the Bible has become one of the most intimidating pieces of following Christ. And right now, in this moment, I'm praying that the Lord will give you a different perspective. And I'm praying he'll do that through sharing some ways that some of you view the scripture. Joshua was going to need something that was true, something that would endure, something that he could look back at and say, here is the word of the Lord. We have that at our access, but we're desperately struggling to see it as a gift. And so let's look at some different ways that maybe some of you are reading it right now, and I hope through it we can find some health. Some of you, you read the Bible uh, because others have guilted you into it. Some of you have been convinced that like God is up in heaven, like, you know, like Santa Claus, like checking a list and keeping it twice, you know, like... Checking whatever, right? Like, like that he's up there, oh, three chapters today? Oh, my goodness. You know, here's an extra dose of a good parking spot, right? Like, like that's what some of you guys think God's doing, right? You know, like, 
that he's up there. You read the entire book of Matthew today. You are so holy. Like, that's not happening. It's not happening. But some of you grew up in contexts or cultures. Read your Bible. Read your Bible with like an angry face. You know, you better read your Bible. And, and what happened is like your mind started processing the Bible as this book of anger and hatred. That's where some of you were at. I know. You just look at the Bible and you get intimidated because all you're hearing in your mind is someone screaming at you saying, you better read this, you communists, or, you know, this is going to happen sort of thing, right? I'm sorry if that's your reality. Please hear my heart. I hate that some of you connect the scripture with guilt and condemnation, though the scripture itself makes clear that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I hate it for you, and I'm so sorry. Uh, others of you, you read the Bible um, because of number two, because, because you know that you're supposed to, right? Like, that's what every Christian does. We read our Bible, right? That's what we do, and we, we carry our Bible. What was big back in my day is like, is like Bible holders, okay? So before phones and, and, you know, the Bible were connected, we were all about, like, our, our like, leather-bound thing that, like, carried the Bible. You could put all your notes in it, you know? And it, it, was, it was like, it was just powerful having that because everyone saw it. Oh, that's a, that's a big Bible you got there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got the biggest Bible in youth group right here. You see this? This is the study version. It's like 200, you know, 200,000 pages up in this mug right here. You know? It's even in the Greek, you know? Can you read Greek? Nope, I just got it for the looks, but it's all good, you know? Uh, some of you, that, that's the way you view it. Well, I, I'm supposed to read it, so I guess I, I, guess I just better than... I think a lot of you fall into the trap of number three. You read the Bible because you don't want to feel foolish and ignorant in conversations about the Bible. So you're like, man, I better, I better give me some knowledge, right? Like you're in a conversation and someone throws out the term atonement, okay? And at first you think it's a cuss word. Then you realize that it's somewhat <laughs> doctrinal, okay? And so you're like trying to fit in with the Christians, you know, oh, yeah, atonement. That's super awesome, right? You have no clue. You feel foolish, so then you go home and you Google atonement, right? And then you come back to those same people. Man, I really enjoyed that conversation on atonement. I was looking at, did you guys know that atonement is also in these 35 verses, you know? You've already like tatted one on your forearm. I mean, it's just like you're, it's go time, right? Uh, some of you, one of your sole motivations of reading the scripture is that you don't want to, you don't seem like an idiot. So you're like, well, I, I guess I better become learned on these issues so I don't have to feel insecure. And finally, I think some of you read of the Bible because once in a long while it feels relevant. The old one, two, let's hope for the best. You ever done that before? Lord, I just really need a word from you right now, you know? And you're like, blow off the dust a little bit, right? God, I know you're going to hit the last second three on this one. You're like, you know, I'm not even looking. You, you like put even a blindfold on your face, you know? Boom, right? And, and the first time, I mean, it, it just, you know, it opens to some like, powerful psalm all about worship and you're you know and so then the ne you know then the next day oh that that didn't work that didn't work you like open to the table of contents you're like ah, I guess that didn't work as well you know um, listen I long for a group of people uh, to see the scripture for what it is I get the chance right now to teach my kids about the Bible and the one thing I never do is tell them, hey, you better read your Bible. 
or you're not my children anymore. Come on, I'm a pastor. Are you kidding me? If you're going to be pastor's kids, you better start knowing your word. Last night, I prayed with my daughter, who's a believer. I prayed that God would continually give her a passion for the scripture. That's all I prayed over. I get to teach my kids that the Bible is a gift. Why? Because it tells us about the character of God. Page after page after page of who God is. And yet most of us have been trained to read the Bible so that we can get something out of it instead of reading the Bible because it is a gift so that we may become worshipers of the God whose story this book tells. What if? What if God did such a transforming work right now in this precise second that we started seeing the word for what it was? I think a lot of us struggle even with this. Like, we struggle seeing a difference between food and the scripture. Like, my guess is, um, none of you, unless you're fasting, have gone without today. Okay, like, you've, you've eaten food. And my guess is, you've enjoyed it. Okay, like, how many of you have really enjoyed some food today? Okay? Some of you, yeah. What would you eat today, bro? Philly cheesesteak from work. Philly cheesesteak. Where do you work? Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen, okay. Okay, Dairy Queen is, the blizzard there is phenomenal. Yeah, like, I love food. Absolutely love food. If, we, if we're an hour late on lunch, what do we say? Yeah, we'll say, like, I'm hungry, I'm starving. I'm famished, like, I'm, I can't believe this. We start getting hangry, anybody get hangry a little bit? Listen, think about this. What if? What if the word became so much of a gift that after a short season without it, we would say, I'm starving. I'm starving. I can't wait for more. Why? Because I'm stirred to learn more of this God that I serve. And every single page of the scripture tells of his might, tells of his love and his grace and his mercy and his justice. It tells of the power of who he is. I'm starving. You find yourself waking up in the night and, and hungry. And there on the nightstand is the scripture and, and you've, you've loosed this idea that it's some guilt-ridden textbook. And instead, you've embraced the fact that God has given us a gift. Listen, I believe it's possible that right now every single one of us in Christ could be debunked of some of the bad ideas that we've had of the scripture and that right now you could imagine the God of the universe handing you a Christmas present. And you open it and there again is the power of a truthful word. How can we learn about a trustworthy God if we don't understand the opportunities that we have to trust him through his word? And so I think that it's possible that some of you tonight will leave here and say like, God, will you give me a hunger for your word like I've never encountered before? Joshua was going to be desperate for it. And I think all of us are tonight as well. So as he continues and closes after the one verse where he doesn't say be strong and courageous, which means whatever he says in verse 8 is is how and where the strength comes from. He then shares the most famous line in verse 9. God says, Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous for the third time, the sixth so far in his journey. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There was going to be so much opportunity for Joshua to fear. Leading all of these hundreds of thousands of people on the other side of the Jordan are people that God is going to call him to kill. Intense stories are coming up in this journey. The disobedience possibility of the people, his own possible insecurities of his leadership and giftings. There was going to be ample opportunity for him to have to somehow, it seems like, dig deep. And that's what happens for us, right? Like we come to the moment. Man, I need a little courage here, Lord. And now we may think of these verses. And we think that what God's calling us to is to dig deep. Dig deep. Don't quit. Come on. Hey, you got this. You can do this. Pick yourself up. Be tough. All of this kind of language you want to share with your roommate and, and you're working in your heart. Man, I, I just got you looking in the mirror. I just got to be strong. I just got to be strong. I just got to be strong. That is not what God desired from Joshua and is not what God desires from us. There's a different way. It's the way that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This verse comes right before Paul talks about that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This verse is right before put on the full armor of God. Why? Because it's not your strength. He's the one that slays demons. He's the one that conquered death. He's the one that crucified your sins on a cross so that you could have life. It's his strength that delivers the weak. It's his power that has somehow taken your sin-ridden life and breathed hope and life in it. It's his strength. It's his power. The problem is the world is looking at us trying to dig deep when he has already dug deep in the soul of who you are and because of his grace, he has given you life. Joshua didn't need for one second to somehow muster it up as he looks in the face of his enemies. He had a God who we got to say, you are strong and so now I will rest in your strength. I am so, so weary of believing that my sole focus in this life is to not quit. I have the hope, you have the hope of turning to the one who hasn't, to the one who won't, to the one who will endure, to the one who's always a promise keeper. 
You see, some of you are looking at all of these directions that your life is at right now. There's no way out of this. There's no way out of that. My, my past has too much of a grip. And maybe part of the whole problem is that you've heard be strong and courageous all your life. And you've tried just to muscle your way out and turn the direction based on yourself. But I'm telling you tonight, you don't have to turn because you can. You can turn because he will turn all of your attention on who he is. He's given you the Holy Spirit within you and can fully, fully take your life and loose you from all of these directions that right now you have been turned. I think the greatest hope for you and I is when we finally see how powerful our God is. And that's what I get to tell my kids when I talk about the word. Kids, page after page after page of his power, of his might. He can forgive your sins. He can take you out of the lust of your passions. Listen, the promise is he can pull you out of the entanglement of your past. And my friends... He can conform you to his righteousness and no longer to the world. That's our hope tonight, right? So let's celebrate that then. Let's celebrate that. Let's turn together and celebrate this ancient meal. And listen, I, I want to make sure you understand this. We celebrate the Lord's Supper here because it is the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ that means tonight we don't have to rest in our strength. When he says the words on the cross, it is finished, he meant every word. There's no more debt that has to be paid. There's no more ransom. He paid it in full. And so for believers tonight, we get an opportunity to come up, to turn our eyes to Christ and to pull off a piece of this bread and dip it in the cup. And this cup represents the shed blood of Christ so that you wouldn't have to spend one day digging deep. But that you could celebrate the fact that he has already done that work. And so believers, tonight, turn your eyes on Jesus. Not to the left or to the right. Not behind. And for those that are not in Christ that walked in here hurting, disenfranchised, tonight too, you can maybe for the first time in your entire life, all of the chaos behind you, focus your eyes on the one who can save you. You can't save yourself. He does the saving work. So my friends, my brothers and sisters who I care about deeply, let's share in this meal of celebration as we repent of the ways we've turned and we turn to him. Take when you're ready.